in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's writing on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. Coming up in a few minutes, we're going to give away tickets to go see Slash. Uh, also, later in the show, we got tickets to NHL Fanfare, part of the All-Star Game, and Luke Bryan. So stay tuned. Um, Want to start with some news this morning, though, on the front page from Adam Schefter. Rich Basaccia is interviewing with the Jacksonville Jags yeah. for their head coaching job. Do you think there's a real chance he lands a head coaching job somewhere I mean, else? It's kind of late in the process, so they kind of bring him in late. Is this like the Josh McDaniels thing? They've always wanted Rich Basaccia. <laughs> Jared and I were talking before the show. It would be sort of funny if he brought Oli and uh, uh, Gussie and the whole group from the Raiders and actually won. It would be I kind mean, of funny. Okay. Absolute funniest scenario. Rich Passaccia takes the Jags to a better record next year than the Raiders. Do. Oh. Be hilarious. Absolute funniest be scenario that could happen. I would think On- if they're doing it this late, because they – Jags have interviewed a handful of people, right? I mean, if they're doing it this late, there's a reason they're bringing him in. I would think by now they've either made a choice on a coach or the other guys just didn't interview well. I mean, to bring him in essentially this late, uh, they might they might be serious about him. So I haven't uh, followed Jacksonville's coaching search outside of like national guys tweeting who they're interviewing. What the hell happened to Byron Leftwich? Yeah, well, there you go. He was supposed to be the leader in the clubhouse, and all of a sudden now they're bringing in Rich Passaccia. So I don't know what happened there, but I got a weird feeling Rich Passaccia might be a serious candidate. I don't know why else you'd bring in Rich Passaccia at this point, right? I mean, I don't know everyone they've interviewed, but Rich Passaccia at this point in the in the process? Yeah, I mean, anybody you interview this, especially when there was the report from uh, Chicago about Passaccia was going to be the special teams coordinator there. And so, I listen, I don't know. I'll also read this to you. This is from Mark Long, who uh, writes for the Associated Press. For what it's worth, former Raiders interim head coach Rich Passaccia might be missing the wow factor, but players love him, and he changed the culture ruined by Urban Meyer. Apparently, Trevor Lawrence would be on board with the hire, too. If if Lawrence is on board and that's, like, being reported because somebody's obviously a source that out to a reporter... That makes me think it's more likely right. to be real, too. So, I mean, it's quite literally going from a coach everyone hated to a coach that's like, well, at least he's nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> everyone seems to love Rich. Happy they to do. I mean, to the, to the next question here, Aaron. My bad. Yeah, how many? You're good. How many players tweeted yesterday after oh, the Josh man. McDaniels news from the Raiders yeah. about, yeah, we miss you, Rich. We yeah. love you, Rich. You're like, like a brother. You're like was. a brother to me. Next question. Minnesota is interviewing Jim Harbaugh. Would it look bad for the Raiders if Harbaugh's hired by another team? I guess it depends on how he does, right? And it and again, we don't know if Mark Davis talked to him at all. I can't I can't believe with as much reporting that went on with Jim Harbaugh and the Raiders, Mark Davis didn't have a conversation with him. I, I just I can't believe that. That they didn't yeah. have a phone conversation at least about the job. And if that's true. Why would Jim Harbaugh want to go to Minnesota over the Raiders? So all along now, it's kind of like with the Oakland A's. Are we just thinking this is leverage because he wanted a huge deal from Michigan? Well, it is not just 
Minnesota, there's also rumors here. I don't know if there's been an official report, but I've seen multiple people tweeting about the Dolphins and Jim Harbaugh. So they're all going after Jim Harbaugh and he wants to stay at Michigan. Apparently. Like, it's it's apparently Dolphins and Minnesota might be interested in uh, Jim Harbaugh, which, again, to, to go back to that point, is he simply using all this? As leverage. To get more money yeah. from Michigan. And that very... That might be the case. I mean, he must be really happy at Michigan, given last year, instead of a contract extension, they took money from him. (laughs) I mean, a a school takes money from you. You do really well. You get to the playoff. But then all these NFL teams come calling, and you're like, I'm going to use it for leverage because I really want to stay here and get more money from these people. He must really like Ann Arbor. You know what I don't understand? How does Jim Harbaugh, why does he need an NFL job? Why can he not walk in with Mel Tucker's contract and say, hey, Hey, this yeah. guy at Michigan State who hasn't done anything is making nine point five yeah. million for ten years. What are we doing here? Like, how is that not enough for him to get a raise? I feel like that should be sufficient for like every college coach in the country. To especially, get a raise. especially since it's Michigan State right down the street. Right? Yes. This isn't. They they can't even be like, well, they've got SEC money, or right. well, it's they, Nick Saban. You, they can't do any of that. They're they're in the same conference in the same state, and they're less successful than Michigan. Like, how that's not enough for Harbaugh to get a raise, I don't understand. That should be it. Just walk in and say, hey, let me see what I've got. I'll take that. Thank you. Great question. The UNLV Lady Rebels are in first place in the Mountain West. They are 17-4 and four overall this year, 9-1 and one in conference play, tied with New Mexico for first, but they beat New Mexico last week, so they have the tiebreaker. Lindy LaRock, since becoming the head coach of the Lady Rebels, is 32 and 13 and 22 and 6 in the Mountain West. This is her second year in charge of the Lady Rebels. Coach of the year last year uh, in the league when they finished second, now uh, in first. She's doing an incredible job. Uh, she had, she's, you know, talk about Kevin Kruger having a lot of new faces last this year. She had eight new faces this year, and they're still uh, on top of the league. So they have a good one in her. Let me ask you this. And I think it's going to be uh, um, uh, Kate. Is it Sue Pay or Kate Pay? I think it's be Kate Pay. I think that's who it is. That's been with Vanderveer forever, uh, the former player there. But Tara Vanderveer, who's you know I think I think late sixties at this point, walks away after another year or so. Lindy's taking the NCAA tournament, but she's at home. Went to Durango, wanted a hometown, you know, a hometown job. Is it easy to just go to Stanford? Probably. They're probably doubling your salary, right? Yeah, yeah, I would think. I just, you know, the whole the whole hometown and her dad's like, you know, the famous kind of prep Hall of Fame coach here, and she's back home. It'll be interesting. I like. I think. I think that the um, associate head coach at Stanford is going to walk into the job. But you keep winning like this and taking UNLV to the NCAA tournament. If they get there this year, maybe a couple of NCAA tournaments. I don't think it's a crazy thing to where she's going to get job offers. Yeah, here's here's why I think it would be easy. Even even if even if you told me salary was the same. The Lady Rebels right now, I saw Bracketology. They would be in the NCAA tournament as the Mountain West champion as a 13 seed. Wow. That's that's like the that's ceiling need of the Mountain West team. Right? That's all you need if to you, know. If you go to Stanford, you could win the national championship. Yeah, that's all you need so, to know. So, yeah. Like, and that's that's kind of the, the big issue. Like, we talk a lot about the Mountain West on the men's side. And, oh, they, they usually, you know, get about two teams in. And we talk, well, ah, should they get three or four? And what can they do? Like, 
the women's basketball side, you would think the Mountain West would at least be able to sneak in two or three teams on a given year. But in reality, it's a one-bid league, and if you win the conference tournament, you are in as a 13 seed at best. And that's it makes it an easy place to live because if, or leave if you have a lot of success yeah. and somebody comes calling from a power conference, especially if it was a Stanford where she was before as an assistant, like that's that's an easy job. To they do. have them as a 13 seed. Yes. Wow. That's all you need to know. They're they're nine and one in league, yeah. and they've won that's, seven straight. That's for comparison. Like if if the men's team were to oh. surprisingly win the Mountain West tournament, they'd be a 13 or a 14 seed in the NCAA tournament. Like that's that's the type of seeding that the Lady Rebels would be getting, despite dominating the con or being in first place in the conference. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Rafa Nadal Rafa. won the Australian Open, came from two sets down to beat Daniil Medvedev in the final. He now has won 21 Grand Slams, the most all-time. Well, if the Joker didn't have his visa problems, we would have seen what happened there. But instead, it was Medvedev, the two-seed in the final. So I love Rafa. Good for him. 21 Grand what? Slams. It's absolutely amazing. What a final, by the way. Like, to go down two sets yeah. is incredible to come back from in a five set Especially match against a two and, seed. and it was it was it was over five hours yeah that was more than a five hour match which is insane to think about like it's obviously you know not continuous running but it, five and a half hours or whatever that ended up being that's an insanely long game one of my favorite things was uh there's a subreddit called watch people die inside and there's just a picture of when you play tennis for five and a half hours and lose. And it's just a zoom in of, of, of his face just looking like, I just, what, have, what am I doing with my life? The, the, I think the funniest thing about tennis grand slams is if you lose the final, you stay on the court for the entire ceremony. Yes. Because they yes. give you the second place trophy or plaque yeah. or whatever. Every, all, the, all the majors, you have to stay out there. <laughs> you stand and watch the person that just beat you celebrate. It's the funniest thing. Kalong told me a couple days ago, I, you got to get rid of this echo. <laughs> can't talk. I'm drunk. Whatever. <laughs> LeBron James has missed the Lakers' last three games. Frank Vogel said he returned to L.A. while they were on a road trip for treatment. He also said that his knee has swelling, and until that goes away, LeBron James will not play. They also didn't have Anthony Davis for a game. Uh, he just came <laughs> back from his knee injury. Uh, uh, what the Lakers uh, are – I mean, we've talked a lot about the Lakers just kind of not being good, not being real title contenders. But like, good God, are they ever going to be healthy? I don't know. I, I look. I should. I shouldn't have laughed. I shouldn't have laughed. But uh, AD comes back, and I think there was the warm up layups, and then I saw him walking off the court. I mean, it was like, my God, there he goes again. He went back to the. He went back to the locker room again. I. They're they're ninth right now, um, and you know, losers of three straight. They've lost all on the road trip, twenty four and twenty seven. You know, even with those guys, we saw how they were playing. So they're just not a threat. Heck. I don't know if they're, I mean, are they going to make the playoffs? Probably in the play-in game. But, man, they are not good. in Teams like the Clippers and Minnesota, teams like that ahead of them, they're just not very good. Yeah, the big problem there is the top six in the West 
seem to have kind of separated themselves. They have, where they have. like the even the Mavericks, the Mavericks have gotten to a point. What are they? The Mavericks are three and a half ahead of the Clippers right. in and, that six and, seven and Minnesota. Split. Yep. Yeah, and that and uh, the, with the play in now, six goes straight into the playoffs. The seven has to play a play in game. So the Lakers right now five back of six. So like, yeah, you'd rather be seven than eight, and you'd rather be eight than nine, and rather be nine than ten. But like at the end of the day, you don't want to be in the play in rounds. And the Lakers, it's looking like they're going to be in the play-in rounds and that's going to be sure they might win the play-ins and get into that first round matchup but they get the sons of the warriors like uh, i know it's lebron but they're not beating the sons of the warriors no. in the first round right five at the most yeah like their their path to doing anything was going to be to get the six and get like the jazz or the grizzlies in the in the first round and then they might have a chance so i if they're the whatever play-in seed and they make it through the play-in rounds it still seems like even if they're fully healthy it's a it's a first round exit, and it's probably a quick first round exit. Yep, ten straight for the Suns. Oh, uh, you know I can't tell you that. The Giants have hired Brian Dabble as their next head coach. Uh, they hired Joe Shane away from the Bills as general manager. Uh, Dabble was the first guy he interviewed for the head coaching job. Um, do you think of all the coaches that are going to get hired that were like coordinators before? Is what Brian Dabble did with Josh Allen the most impressive thing of any sort of offensive coordinator getting a head coaching job? I'm trying to think of all of them that got it. Um, yeah. Uh, now you can say, and I obviously Josh Allen's a lot better than this guy, but I thought uh, new Raiders coach did pretty well with his rookie quarterback. Josh Allen wasn't right. a rookie. Um, right. And But but like, if you look, I mean like Josh Allen's entire career, because Josh right, Allen was right. terrible yes. as a rookie. Yes. Like he was like unplayable. And now we're talking about him yep. as one of like the big five quarterbacks in the AFC and like, oh, the Bills have a legitimate chance to win the Super Bowl and all that. Like that development and growth is unbelievably impressive. And like, sure, Mac Jones being a competent quarterback with Josh McDaniels is as impressive, but it yeah, it feels like it's nowhere on it's the not entire even close. narrative the entire narrative Dobble did the best job. Yeah. So I, I think that's a I mean, obviously you hire the Bills GM, it, it makes sense and uh, you got to make it work with Daniel Jones or find somebody else. But that's uh, that's an interesting hire that I, I'm curious to see how good Brian Dabble can be with the Daniel Jones or anybody else they decide to go with. A lot of package deals. Yeah. A lot of package a... deals. Don't that's know if right. they work, but a lot of package deals. We All right, think, here we, we think go. one's coming here, but we haven't heard the press conference yet. We'll see. Josh McDaniels backing out 24 hours later again. All right, here we go. We've got tickets to go see Slash, the River is Rising tour. It's coming February 19th, the theater at Virgin. Tickets at virginhotellv.com. But we've got a pair for you right now. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. 702-364-1100. If you want to go see Slash, the River is Rising tour, 702 702- 364-1100. We'll take caller number six. Rice gets by him, now spins out to Nuga. Nuga back to Hamilton. He'll shoot a three from the right side, oh and he'll God. hit it. What? Rice <laughs> continues his red-hot shooting. Bryce out top, thinks about a three, steps back, will shoot the three, and he'll hit the three. Bryce Hamilton unofficially now with 30 points. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Congratulations to Reed. He won a pair of tickets to go see Slash. We will have tickets to NHL Fanfare coming up later this hour. But UNLV beat Colorado State 88-74 to on Friday. It's the first win of the season for UNLV over a top 100 team. 
their first win as an underdog. They did it without two starters because Donovan Williams and Josh Baker were both out from that game. And they did it because Bryce Hamilton scored a career-high 42 points. He hit seven of 13 threes. His previous career-high in three-pointers made a game was four. He hit seven in that game and had 42 points. It is one of the best performances by a UNLV basketball player I've ever seen. I mean, when you're in the same uh, sentence with Elbert Miller and Trevor Ryder, you've had a good game. Yes. Tied for third most in UNLV history. I thought he had. I, I'm with you on that. I was a little upset, uh, and I, I'll be honest. Yeah, I was. Uh, I, I mean, it was a, a terrific, terrific effort by them. Kept watching. Kept wondering if there's going to be a CSU run. Never really happened. Terrific job by the Rebels. I went to bed thinking 45, and I woke up and our paper had the headline of 42. I'm like, oh no. We messed that up. No, what happened? I thought he had 45 because the TV promised me he had 45. Yeah. The, the, the yeah. broadcast promised it was 45. But good job by our guys to be factual. And it was only 42. I don't know who was keeping live stats for Colorado yeah. State, but they some. I think it was a Jordan McCabe three. That they gave they to Bryce? Ac- they accidentally gave to Bryce Hamilton and had to go back and fix it after the game was over. So, like, the game ended, and it was 45 points. It was the third most in UNLV history. It was uh, the second guy, or first guy since Trey Young to go 45, 5, and 5. And then they went back and they said, you know what? He didn't actually score 45. He only had 42. Who's so doing that, by the stat. way, at a college game? Yeah, the schools right. hire people to, to keep stats. I mean, just it could be somebody that works in the athletic department or they could hire out freelancers. That I'm just saying I didn't it. think they'd be that precise. I thought like <laughs> when, when, you know, when they wrote it down at the, and there was the final score, we get final box scores pretty clo- pretty soon after right. UNLV game. So I'm like, okay, right. who's going back and changing this? There's There's a possibility that somebody noticed it and went back and told them. Like, they're like, so... They keep stats live as the plays happen. There's a possibility that they marked a Jordan McCabe three for Bryce Hamilton and somebody else saw it live and and went and told them and then they didn't actually fix it until after the game was over. All right. So, but we can still be mad because they ruined all the tweets and all the headlines and everything. But yeah, Um, more importantly, Bryce Hamilton in Mountain West play is now shooting 41% from three. Uh, This is a guy who, for his career coming into this year, was a 30% shooter from three, which is the average is about 33, 34% from three point range. 41% is incredible. It's amazing. I don't think there's any way he keeps that up. Uh, but if he can stay above 35%, that is a massive weapon, not only for Bryce Hamilton, but for UNLV. Are you changing your mind watching him this year on how he's going to maybe translate if he gets a shot? If... He can keep up the three-point shooting. Okay. Yes. Okay. Uh, but that's really the big thing. And I would tend to believe we're watching more of a hot streak than we are a truly better shooter. Um, now, he is shooting more catch-and-shoot threes than he did last year. Last year, he took a lot more off the dribble threes. Uh, but if he keeps up the three-point shooting, absolutely. Because any anybody that can shoot, is going to have a shot, right? right? Especially if you if you can do other things on a basketball floor. And Bryce Hamilton can create his own shot in the paint. So if you can shoot, you've got a shot. But I'll, I'm curious to see what's his final three-point percentage at the end of the year. Because if he 
if he goes through a, a shooting slump here and we're talking about, hey, he finished at 33%, probably not. Because you're, you're talking about a guy who ends up just still below average for his career and even average in his good year. But if he keeps this up, if he's at 36, 7, 8% at the end of the year, then that, that, that could make a real difference in his actual draft status for the NBA, which, you know, as we've seen the last couple of years, was obviously nowhere near where he needed it to be no. since he no. came back to UNLB. Um, I will make one other point about the actual game itself. David Roddy, he did get to 13 points, but was four of 10 shooting, and he was in, I think it was four points at halftime. David Roddy is one of the top scorers in the Mountain West. Victory Walker and Royce Ham, uh, they both actually fouled out of the game, largely because they were guarding him. But they did a tremendous job. Like, as good as Bryce Hamilton was and how that was a, like, one of the best scoring games in UNLV history, UNLV also won that game because they were excellent defensively against the best offensive team in the conference. I mean, that was that was genuinely unbelievable how good they were defensively and how David Roddy was effectively a non-factor on offense for Colorado State. I mean, CSU needed Stevens to go off a little just to be within 14 at the end. Right. I mean, right. if he doesn't, I, he has a normal game, like, I don't know, 18 points. I mean, that thing could have just been a huge blowout. Right. And by the way, Isaiah Stevens had 35. Like, Yeah. <laughs> and, and no Stevens. one remembers it. Right. Because Bryce Hamilton went for 42 yeah. and UNLV won. But yeah, like, Isaiah Stevens had a crazy game, and that kept them from losing by 20 points. Right. It's right. It's one of the most shocking results that I, I've seen from a UNLV team and the, what this is the seventh year, eighth year that I've been here covering this team, like upsetting San Diego state two years ago when San Diego state was undefeated is the most surprising result that I've seen outside of that, like maybe upsetting Arizona when Christian Wood was here, but this is like, I had zero, like you they were down two starters. Yeah. Th- th- and this they were wasn't getting even, 13 and a half. Right. This wasn't even full strength, like full strength. UNLV still would have been a 10, 11 point. Absolutely. Underdog. They were down two starters. And Bryce Hamilton had one of the most incredible games you're ever going to see for UNLV. It is an absolutely stunning win for UNLV. And I can't believe we talked to Kevin Kruger earlier and he's not going to wear the blazer. Yeah, I don't. If I'm Kevin Kruger and I'm the main man in the program, I'm not leaving it up to my assistants. I'm saying, fellas, get the jackets out. Because if you go now lose to Reno and everyone saw that the blazer gets you the 14-point win at CSU, it is his fault. And he said he will be blamed for it. I will blame him. You will blame him. You gotta, you gotta go back to the blazer, don't you? Man. I mean, the, the whole, the whole point of their entire lives usually is superstitious. All these coaches yeah. and players, that, that, they're completely superstitious about everything. So when you put the blazers on him, and, and good for CSU because it was a great cause to do it for. But you come home and you're playing little Stevie Alfred and the boys. I think you gotta go blazer. <laughs> but the only thing that'd be better is if Steve Alfred. Uh, I don't know if he's traded in his red blazer for a blue one. I haven't seen that yet. You know, the red blazer from New Mexico yeah. was the all-time greatest moment in the world with the net around the neck. I mean, I, I don't think you can top that at the Mountain West tournament when he wore the net around his neck. But even if even if um, uh, Alfred's going uh, with the half zip, I think you go back blazer. But let me ask you this. If you go blazer, if there's a big meeting right now as we're talking at UNLV to have the big vote and they're, like, putting their, their picks in a, in a little hat and you're going to choose it out and which one's voted for blazer or not, if you vote blazers, do you have to warn Alfred? To tell him to wear a blazer? Well, I mean, because everyone's kind everyone's kind of gone with the half zips and they've kind of gone with the pullovers and everything. Do you say, hey, Steve, just you know, just in case you're wondering, we're going to go blazers? Or you're not saying anything yeah, to no. him? 
No, you're surprising them with it. All right. The coach coaches are coming out pregame and just like sweatpants and stuff, and then they're making a dramatic <laughs> sweatpants, shorts, yeah, board and a shorts. dramatic entrance with the blazer on. Actually, I would love to see Kevin Kruger go no blazer, and they're down like ten at the half, and he comes out in a blazer for the second half. Oh, that would be great. Half zip and, to, to a blazer with a nice oh, collared shirt. Yeah, and they come back and win. That'd be phenomenal. I'm on board for that. That'd be one of the funniest things That'd you could great. do. So. No blazer. It's gonna be. It is gonna be the most scrutinized decision of Kevin oh, Kruger's absolutely. first year. Depending on if they win choice. or lose, <laughs> to not wear a blazer. If they win, eh, it's fine. Maybe it wasn't yeah. the blazer. You lose without a blazer on. Won't no. be good. You know what? We're spending forty-five minutes. Oh, on the absolutely. Next we're day breaking down show. the. Bla- we're breaking down the blazers and what you could have worn. What kind of blazer, blazer. you could have worn? All right. Coming up next. David Shane joins the show. Hands it off, side of the goal, extra pass to Flex. Back across to the right of shot, they score! Tampa on the board in the dying seconds of the power play. Hedman feeds left in a centering try, knocked down. Rebound off the side of the goal, it's loose. Still banging away, now they score! Tampa ties it! Vegas could not secure the loose puck. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Joining us now from the Review Journal is David Shane. Good morning, David. Hello, Dave. (laughs) I'm going to try that again. I don't know what just happened there. That was awesome. And you know what the thing about it was? It was perfectly timed. It was like absolutely perfectly timed. Hello, David. Oh, that was beautiful. Wait a a minute. Did Did he have David? Yeah, we no, we had him. We yeah, had him. I had him like, on the line. Like you, you talked. You said hello to okay, and then yeah. all of a sudden the phone's just ringing. Yeah, I don't know what is going on, but you have seen our phone, so it could just be that our phone is finally succumbed to death. I'm gonna give him a call. You guys, vamp. Okay. That was awesome. Love oh, that. the Alst. By the way, coming up. We're going to do this in about 10 minutes, by the way. Uh, We are going to give away tickets to go to the NHL fanfare uh, that is out here. It's at the convention center this weekend uh, as a part of the NHL All-Star Game because this weekend we get both the NHL All-Star Game and the Pro Bowl in Las Vegas. We are apparently the home for All-Star sporting events now. But we'll have two tickets to NHL fanfare uh, coming up up this weekend. We'll give those away in about 10 minutes so do we do we are we happy we have both the all-star game and the pro bowl uh i'm happy for the hockey okay happy for the are you hockey. a big pro yeah. bowl guy for football no. are you really a big pro bowl guy i'm not a big pro bowl guy no pro bowl's got to be the worst yeah. of our big four sports. of the big four sports also because yeah. it's the farthest away from from real life football all right do we have david shane yeah now? let's try it again Bring. For, for now for now <laughs> okay. let's see if it holds up hold on don't know what happened there, but don't tell move him, your David. phone. Don't move yeah. your phone. Just keep it right where it is. Um, <laughs> all right, David. Brain McNabb gets an extension along with Logan Thompson and Michael Amadio yesterday, kind of out of nowhere. Uh, is there any ulterior motive you find behind these extensions? Well, I don't know about ulterior motive other than like everything that they do from now until, you know, Jack Eichel being activated and getting under the salary cap and all of that is always going to raise like some kind of red flag. I don't think they'd sign Braden McNabb to then deal him. Uh, although I suppose it's possible. I mean, it's a pretty team friendly deal. 
It obviously doesn't kick in until next season. But, you know, Kelly McCrimmon and George McPhee always like to use that term, certainty. And I think, you know, the idea of knowing what you're going to have salary-wise for Braden McNabb for the next, you know, few years allows them to maybe maneuver around some other pieces on the back end and, and do some things in the summer, you know, when that time comes. So, you know, I don't think it's like a sign-and-trade type of thing. Um, I think, you know, I mean, at least on the surface, I look at it for Braden McNabb, and, you know, he's maybe the one physical guy they have back there, and Pete DeBoer keeps talking about how they're too soft around the front of the net. So I don't see how you'd, you know, sign him and then deal him and give away, you know, the one guy who clears the front of the net a little bit for you. What do you think um, in terms of, in you know, like you said, team-friendly deal, and, you know, he wraps up some money for himself. Could he have gotten more if he would have gone to uh, gone to the open market? I would think so, yeah. I mean, anytime you go as a U.S. you know, and he's playing well this year, too. You know, he's among the league leader in hits. He's among the league leader in block shots. You know, he's an established guy. You know exactly what you're going to get. So, I mean, on the open market, if somebody was, you know, looking for a veteran presence that they could pair you know, for I'm just going to throw numbers out three and a half, four million. Okay. You know, I, I don't think that's I don't think that's out of the question um, to say that. So, you know, you know, again, I, I think it was a pretty team friendly deal, and I think the fact that they got it done now and out of the way, you know, probably speaks to how they feel about Brady McNabb and how he's played this year. Similar mindset for me. You read anything into Logan Thompson getting an extension? Yeah, I do. I read. I read more into that one, quite frankly, than I than I probably do anything of the other three. I I think it it may you know spell some of the writing on the wall if I can put that phrase together correctly for Laurent Brossois. I mean, think about it this way: I, Logan Thompson has only appeared in a couple games, and he looked pretty solid. But if he were to be your backup, it's like three times cheaper. And I don't know if that's a short term you know, thing that they're looking at or if, or if they would, you know, want to have all three guys available this year, I would think that they would want to do that. Uh, if, if they're willing to trade for Robin Leonard, you know, because they want to make sure Marc-Andre Fleury's got solid backup, I don't think they want to just ride with Robin Leonard and Logan Thompson, you know, right now going for a Stanley Cup. But I absolutely think, you know, in the summer it, that it could spell that, that the Knights are, are ready to commit to Logan Thompson as a backup maybe going forward. Is there any chance Leonard can convince the NHL that when it comes to playoffs, he'll only play road games? <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. But uh, knowing him, he'll put it on Twitter and, and give it a <laughs> shot, right? <laughs> I mean, can you? the difference in numbers are obvious, but anything you've picked up from his ability on the road, or is that just you know a coincidence and that he's just playing well when he's uh, away from Vegas? Yeah, you know what? I mean, this is a, just a little more conjecture on my part, but I think there are certain guys um, that maybe like that that heel role a little bit. You know, they like playing that villain, you know, on the road a little bit, and you go in and you get a little motivated and you scroll through Twitter the way Robin Leonard does and, you know, maybe find some uh, some motivational things from opposing fans and, you know, whatever it takes to get you riled up. But, yeah, I He's the guy who, you know, gets on the road and he likes to, you know, play in front of the, the you know, the other team's crowd and, and kind of quiet them and, and motivate them. I know, I mean, certainly not on the same level, but, like, I was like that as a player. I like going on the road and, you know, trying to trying to quiet the other team's fans. Is Robin Leonard a good shootout goalie now? 
seems like it, huh? Like, he's not overcommitting. That's the biggest thing. You know, if we're going to, like, break it down and all that. Like, he always before, the problem was when they came in really slow and he had to kind of, like, you know, sort of react to what they were doing instead of just react to the play, like on a breakaway coming at full speed and, you know, reading a defenseman's coming from the right. He can't go this way. He's got to go left. I'm going to cheat, like, whatever it might be. But he seems to be holding his ground a lot better and and not, you know, overcommitting, not making that first move and, you know, He's a big guy, too. So if he's able to kind of stay square, I mean, there's not much to shoot at if, you know, unless you're, you're a, a Tampa Bay Lightning guy and you get a few passes. And a couple of those were pretty nice goals, i got to say. Did you love Mark Stone acting like a five-year-old running into the locker room after scoring that goal? I mean, That was pretty funny, huh? Uh, like, like, it's pretty, like, I love the sarcasm, though, you know? The whole, like, I scored in shot. I, haven't, <laughs> I mean, his record's terrible, right? Oh, like he, he was like yeah. two for 13 or something. I think that's why he was shooting so, in the seventh inning. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? And it's funny because I know I was joking somebody about, like, you know, how the heck were some of these guys going ahead of Mark Stone? And then you look at the record, and it's kind of like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, the, 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 I'll even give you something. Justin Emerson and I had a conversation a couple weeks ago about, like, you know, who's the one guy you would want on, a, on like, a penalty shot or a breakaway or whatever? And I said, Mark Stone. Because he's, it seems like he was just money when he gets that move back to the forehand, and he can kind of tuck it between the goalie and the post. Like it always seemed to work, and yet apparently on shootouts, <laughs> no bueno. So you can see why he was pretty psyched, I guess, after that. Yeah. So what you're saying is, Braden McNabb should start taking penalty shots before Mark Stone. Or Nick Hague, like, just go down the slot and just wind up. Like, I want more guys to just go down and just take a slap shot from, like, 20 feet away as hard as they can. Uh, if we look at sort of the the ups and downs of the season, do you feel like that road trip kind of negated the poor homestand they had right before it? Uh, maybe a little bit. I mean, in terms of the numbers, I, I don't know. But I think maybe more what it does is negates it mentally. I think they feel really good about the process, you know, to kind of use their word, you know, during that road trip and as well the results. They they got five out of eight points playing pretty well against good teams. I think you could argue, you know, maybe they got away from it a little bit against Carolina. Certainly the penalties and then Tampa Bay's push in the third period, you know, put them on their heels. But I think, you know, just coming away from that, and we'll see what they do against Buffalo tomorrow, but I – I feel like they feel good about where they're at defensively and just, you know, where their their game is at and how they're playing. The results sort of took care of themselves, but I think they sort of feel okay. They're they're getting closer to full strength. You know, they're halfway through the season. They have, you know, a little bit better grasp of the systems and the chemistry with each other, even though some of the lines have, have been a little mix and match. I just feel like they're, they're at that point where they want to, you know, start to push on in that road trip you know, is the type of thing that can make them feel good about the way that they're playing. What about them? You just mentioned, and I've read your DeBoer quotes in, in you and Ben's articles about them defensively is better now. And how far do they have to go to be, let's say Stanley cup worthy? Yeah. You know, I think it's a combination of the defense and the goaltending. I think a lot of, you know, I don't want to say problems because, because that's overstating it. I thought Jesse did a good job. Jesse Granger did a good job of, you know, showing the Knights you know, held those four teams to fewer shots, fewer chances, you know, than their average. But the one thing was they were, the Knights were still outchanced. 
they were still they still gave up more high dangers. And some of those numbers were, you know, a little bent from like Carolina, the third period against Tampa, you know, like I mentioned. But it wasn't like they were completely shutting those four teams down. What they got was a combination of that plus good goaltending. Right. And that's what they're going to need, you know, going forward. Robin Leonard was really good on that road trip. You know, the numbers backed it up, but just, you know, you watched him and you saw how, how much, you know, better he was tracking the puck, how steady he was in his crease. He looked more of the, you know, the calm Robin Leonard that, that we kind of know and that the Golden Knights tout. And, and I think if they get that going forward, then, then that's a potential Stanley Cup, you know, type winning combination. Yes. Well, he is David Shane from the Review Journal. Dave, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, well, let's hang up for real this time, right? <laughs> appreciate it. <laughs> oh, what timing. Have a good show, guys. You too. What timing. There it is. Thank what you. Timing. Yeah, it was, it was very good. It wasn't even a hang-up either. We, got, yeah, we, we just got redialed. <laughs> yeah, it's impressive. All right, here we go. We've got two tickets to the Truly Hard Seltzer NHL Fanfare. It is Thursday, February 3rd through Sunday the 6th. It's in the West Hall of the Las Vegas Convention Center. And we've got a pair of tickets for you right now. 702-364-1100. If you want to go out to the NHL Fanfare as a part of All-Star Weekend, 702-364-1100. We'll take caller number 7 at 702-364-1100. Mark Stone can win the game for the Knights in the bottom of the seventh round. The captain goes left, the righty to the middle. He shoots. He scores. Mark Stone wins it for Vegas. The shootout in the seventh round. Talk about expressive. Stone twirls back down the ice, pounds Mitz, and goes right to his goaltender. Taps him on the helmet, and the Knights win it 3-2 in the shootout. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. All right, before we get into the actual game, Golden Knights winning in a shootout in Tampa Bay, Golden Knights also announced some extensions. Braden McNabb, a three-year extension, $2.85 million per year. He was making two and a half, so a little bit of a raise. They also signed Michael Matteo and Logan Thompson, two extensions, both those guys making under a million bucks. On Braden McNabb, Puckpedia reported he's got a 10-team no-trade clause. Uh, but that number of $2.85 million per year for the next three seasons. Uh, we just talked to Dave Shane, who said that's probably less than he would have gotten on the open market. Do you believe there's a chance the Golden Knights sign Braid McNabb to this extension and then will trade him at the trade deadline? I don't think so. For all the reasons Dave said about it, he's one of the more physical guys and what Pete DeBoer has said about his team for the last several weeks, and if not month, in terms of the softness about them. Um, so I don't think so. I... You know, it's it's funny. It happened with Theodore. It happened with Tuck, and they were you know they were had just gotten to the team when they signed these kind of really team friendly deals. I I do. It might sound crazy. I think there's something about this team, and guys love playing here, and they love being on this team, and they'll take more or less money for it. Now, I'm sure his agent had some kind of idea what he was going to be on the market, but he still gets two and a half million. I think the or two point eight five. He got the the signing bonus was two million. I I think there's something to it. I don't know why. But I think there's something to guys want to stay here. And, and we see that with guys who got traded and how, you know, how bummed they are when they get traded away. Maybe not Tuck because he went home, but where some of these guys have been sent, um, they love playing here. They love playing with this organization. It is first class. Foley makes sure they have everything they need. So if I'm Braden McNabb, 
do I take a chance to get to UFA to make, I don't know, after taxes, you know, 500000 more a year? Maybe, but I don't think so, and I don't think he's getting traded. The main logic to me behind why Braden McNabb could get traded because of this is simply because he's more valuable. Like, if he, if he truly did sign for less than he would have gotten on the open market, then basically, if you're trading for Braden McNabb, you're basically making a good free agent. You're getting sign. a better deal. Yeah, and like a guy you would have signed in the offseason for three and a half million or 3.7 million, whatever it would have been. Like you're getting him for cheaper, plus you get half a season. Now, granted, you might have to give up something for him. But that, to me, would be the logic behind this this extension makes McNabb more likely to be traded simply because now the Golden Knights could get a little bit more for Braden McNabb if they did, in fact, trade him. The one that I do think I agree with David Shane that is more interesting is Logan Thompson, mm-hmm. because my first thought when I saw Logan Thompson got an extension, and he got a three-year extension, my first thought was, why would Logan Thompson sign an extension with the Golden Knights? Because we've talked about this. Logan Thompson has been good at the AHL. He said he wants to prove he's an NHL goalie. His path is blocked. I mean, Laurent Brossois is under contract for another uh, couple of seasons. Robin Leonard's obviously got a long-term deal. Like, there is not a path to Logan Thompson being an NHL goalie, even just a backup in Vegas. So why on earth would he sign an extension somewhere where he's he's third in the pecking order? Well, did they unless, convince him there is a path? Unless Laurent Brossois is getting traded. getting moved. And I told you last week why they should trade Laurent Brossois. Right. He's making three times as much as Logan Thompson does. You can save about $2 million against the cap. And Laurent Brossois simply hasn't been good this year. And there's no real difference in Laurent Brossois starting seven to 10 games the rest of the season and Logan Thompson starting seven to 10 games the rest of the season. And if Leonard gets hurt in the postseason, you've got to go to Brossois or Thompson. You're probably screwed either way. There's not a big difference between those two. So I I do wonder if there was, uh, I don't know if I'd trust promises made by the Golden Knights, but I- Wink, wink. I wonder if there was some sort of assurance that, yeah, Laurent Brossois is getting moved. Now, my initial thought is Brossois gets moved before the trade deadline to help make room for Jack Eichel. For the for the money, yeah. Right. But David Shane brought up that it could just simply be an offseason move because the Golden Knights, they like to have their goalie security and uh, they might keep Brossois and then in the offseason, <clears throat> excuse me, move him. I think it makes more sense if you've got a way to piecemeal it together, move Brossois and obviously a couple other pieces to make room for Jack Eichel, uh, especially if you've now got Logan Thompson convinced that he's going to have a shot right. at least to be an right. NHL goalie. So if you're Brossois, avoid elevators with members of senior management. <laughs> <laughs> Do you immediately get off? Well, <laughs> you you it opens and, and McCrimmon and McPhee are standing there and you're like, I'll take the next one. But but like, you know, what if where you're are on the, the stairs? Elevator? Yeah, what if you're on the elevator? You, you got on at floor one, and you're going to five, but it stops at three, and here comes Kelly McCrimmon. Do you get off at three? Well, you get off at three because that's the where the, the concourse way? is. You say, "I'm going to grab a hot dog." Do you need anything? Okay, okay, good, good, good yeah. reasoning there. I mean, good excuse. You got to be ready for that. Yeah, absolutely. So, interesting extensions. Interesting extensions to announce them, and when they announce them, given that this is a team that's obviously going to have to make some moves if they're healthy to be under the salary cap by the way some quick numbers for you robin leonard at home this season his save percentage an even 900 robin leonard on the road 
It's up to 920. Might be Raider Nation 920. I mean, ask David Shane. Call call up the league and say, can I only play on the road in the playoffs? They'll win the Stanley Cup. I do not believe it's real. I think it's just noise. But I do hope it's real, and I hope this keeps up the rest of the year where he's bad at home and great on the road.